Lesson one, introduction to grace. Father, we come before you and we're so very grateful for Jesus and what you have done, how you have come uh, down from heaven and, and offered yourself not only as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins, but as the living breath of life to dead, cold-hearted people. And, and you offer yourself as our life. And you, you promise to live in us and through us. And Jesus, we want to believe more. And we want to know and understand how to be your disciples and how to follow you. So we ask that you would fill these words and in our time today with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 10.10 10 says, I'll read it to you. The thief does not come to, except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That is what Jesus says he came to do, is give us an abundant life. Now, most Christians do not live an abundant life. They live a crummy life. They live a sad life or a discouraged life or a failure of a life. We see in the church so much struggle and so much hurt and pain and, and, and uh, failure when it comes to Christians. And, and I know this because I've seen countless people come to church for a little while and then fade away. You guys ever seen that? You guys ever been one of those people that came to church and, and then over time it just got boring? It got dry. And that is a state that Jesus says should not exist. He wants us to have an abundant life. Abundant. That means not just normal but overflowing. Not just go to church on Sundays because it's my responsibility, but my life with God is an abundance life. I am producing abundant fruit. Fruitfulness. That is what we want to see. If, if you're not loving, it means you're not fruitful. You can't just decide to be more loving. That comes from inside. It comes from deep Somewhere inside your spirit is either loving or it is not loving. And Jesus says, I can make you loving. I will make you loving through the new covenant. Now, the new covenant, what is that? We're going to study that. And this is going to be an introduction to the term new covenant today. New covenant and grace are, are the same thing. They're the same word um, so I'm going to ask a few questions that people kind of wonder as they start getting into church. What is the whole point of this Christian life? What is the whole point of it? How do we do it? Someone gets saved. What do they do now? That's a good question. And what we're going to talk about is the answer to that. Grace. What is really the power and source of the Christian life? Why do we fail to enter the victorious version of this Christian life? What is the new covenant? And how is it different from the old covenant? All these questions, which are right there on your notes, are really vital 
to a successful Christian walk, to being a believer in Jesus, you have to wrestle with these questions. And you have to know and learn and discover how Jesus teaches us to follow him. So the first verse that we're going to look at in our notes here is Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And this is at the very end in the Last Supper, the day before Jesus is crucified. This is the pinnacle, the climax of the story of Jesus. And what does he say here? He says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus was so excited for this night. He prepared for this night, and he was, he was thrilled to be able to share with his disciples, this is why I have come to bring you a new covenant. Now, the disciples knew there was something called the Old Covenant, except for them, it wasn't called the Old Covenant. It was just the covenant (laughs) because it wasn't old yet. But Jesus is coming to say, I am going to bring you a new covenant. That Old Covenant was what? The Ten Commandments. Keep these, follow these, you know, do all the rituals and all the things with the temple and the sacrifices and you can have somewhat of a relationship with me. But Jesus is coming to bring a new covenant, and we're going to spend a lot of time. A lot of Christians and believers don't even know what this new, that there is a new covenant. In fact, they get saved, and the first thing they do is they go home and slap up a copy of the Ten Commandments on their wall and say, this is how to be a Christian. I'm going to do my best to follow those Ten Commandments. And I would say 90% of Christians that I've met, that is their perspective. It's about me trying to keep those Ten Commandments, which is literally no different than thousands of years of Jews and their relationship with the Lord. So that is not the type of covenant that Jesus is bringing. He's bringing a new covenant. And a a covenant is just a word, a big fancy theological term for an agreement for relationship or, or a contract, although it's not quite that formal. It's an agreement for living, an agreement for living. Old covenant was an agreement that said, you perform these rules and I will do these things. New covenant is different than that. And we'll see why in just a minute. And we see here that Jesus says, my death, my blood is the establishment of this new agreement This new contract for living, it's the whole point of Jesus' life, the pinnacle, the climax of it, and his death. So when we ask, why did Jesus die? Or what does it mean that Jesus died for me? Our answer is to give us the new covenant. Great, but what is the new covenant? We will learn today. What is the new covenant? This new covenant, Jesus says, is given to you. In my blood. Now, this is establishing one of the language things about grace. It's always going to be with the language of give. Whenever you see give in the Bible connected with God's work, that is talking about grace. Whenever you see earn, that's going to be in reference to the law. But how often do we live our lives like we have to earn something from God? 
That's a clue. We're not doing it right. You don't have to earn something from God. God has offered a free gift called grace, which will supply all of our needs. So this new covenant is given. And the way that we partake of this new covenant is like a a cup. We drink it in. And this is a picture of what faith looks like. It's not a work. He did all the work. There's no more work for us to do. It is simply believing and receiving. That's why we have communion every week after, you know, in the last couple songs that we do when we're spending time thinking about what's just been said, what God has done in us, and what God has promised to us. We come over here and we take the cracker and we eat it, taking it in remembering Jesus' death. And then we take the cup and we take, and that's what we remember here is God's new covenant with us, that it was bought with his blood and our response is simply, yes, I receive it. I want it. I believe it. That is our response. Not, okay, I'm going to try hard to deserve this. I'm going to try hard to earn this. I'm going to try hard to be worthy of this. That is not the way it works. We receive it, and he'll produce the things he wants to. So our second verse that we come to is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And this says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient as ministers of the new, co- new covenant. Not of the letter, which kills, but of the spirit, which gives Life. Did you see that word gives again? See, so we know it's going to be connected with grace and the new covenant. Why do we need to learn about the new covenant? Because we are not sufficient. Do you know how many people kept the law? Well, Jesus, yes, okay. (laughs) Zero normal people kept the law. Nobody in the old covenant did not work to save people, to bring people uh, to God. It only showed people how far they were from God. And we're going to spend the next time we get together and study this in a month, we're going to learn about the old covenant and its purpose. And, its re- and it's, it's not a dumb thing and it's not a mistake, but it's good at doing what it's designed to do, which is show you like a mirror how ugly you are. Ooh, not good. But the new covenant... It doesn't just reveal our sin, it makes us sufficient. And sufficient is a word that means fixed, capable, made sufficient, made uh, different than we were. We are not sufficient in anything ourselves. No matter how hard we try or want it, we fail to meet God's standard. Now, some of us try harder than others, and some of us make more of our lives in this world than others do because of self, um, self-effort, self-discipline, uh, and, and we do more in this life. But in God's economy, self-effort does not work because no matter how hard you try, you cannot measure up to his standard because his standard is too high. His standard is perfection, absolute perfection. And so you can always ask yourself, did I do as good as Jesus would have done? And the answer is always no. 
we didn't. But God gives it. This is what's amazing about the new covenant. And this is why we study it week after week and month after month. And we look and search the scriptures for more insights about the new covenant because he gives this sufficiency where we couldn't earn it. And we couldn't get it. We couldn't gain it. He makes us sufficient with this new covenant. It's not a list of rules to keep like the old covenant. He says here, it's a new spirit. It's a new internal life. It's internal and not external. It's life-giving and not life-draining. When we try and attempt to measure up to God's standard, do you know how we end up every time? Tired, failing, insufficient. But when God gives it internally, it's like a fountain of life springing up. And we don't, we don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. We submit to God's new covenant. We'll find out more about what that looks like as we progress. How do I get this new covenant? We're going to answer that question. So hold on to your pants. All right. The new covenant is the same as the word we use called grace. You hear grace tossed around all the time. There's a lot. These are synonymous terms. And there's a lot of synonymous terms for the new covenant, we could say walking in the spirit. We could say the victorious Christian life. We could say being a good Christian. However simple or complex you want to say, this is all dealing with the exact same topic, which is what God has done for us. How to be a Christian. Well, we're made a Christian. We don't make ourselves Christians. We are made it by God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31. This is one of the most important scriptures that we're going to look at when it comes to the new covenant because this is the prophecy and explanation of the new covenant given hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So look at this verse. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Easy to remember. Jeremiah 31, 31. Just go there when you want to spend some time in the new covenant learning about it. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. And this is a wonderful text teaching us about the full extent of the new covenant. Have you ever learned about icebergs? Icebergs are the giant chunks of ice that float in the, the, the sea, right? And you see an iceberg, but what they say is, you only see 10% of the iceberg. That's how much is above water. 90% is below the water and, you know, jagged, and it'll, it'll mess up your boat and cause you to drown, and everyone's singing, I will always love you, whatever. So icebergs are like grace. Not that they kill boats and 
kill Leonardo DiCaprio. But they only only 10% of it is immediately visible or seen. And let me tell you what that, it's the last thing that's mentioned here in verse 34, number one in our list of three things that encompass the new covenant. Number one is forgiveness. That's the part that everybody understands. Christians know what being a Christian is about. And if you say, what does it mean to be a Christian? People say, I am forgiven. And are they wrong? No, that's great news. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But it's only 10% or less. I, I mean, it's a great, there's nothing better than the day I felt the weight of sin leave off my shoulders and I knew that I was forgiven. Can I get an amen? That's right. It's a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing. It's according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness is amazing. And every Christian knows that about the new covenant. You know what? Because if they don't know they're forgiven, they're not a Christian. So literally, you kind of have to know that part. You have to have asked Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me. I, this is what the whole deal is. right? But it's not what the whole deal is. It's only a beginning. And this is what discipleship is. And this is why we have to do this. is because there's so much more to the new covenant, to why Jesus gave his blood and died on the cross and gave his life than just Forgiveness. Forgiveness is how you start a relationship with God. It is not how you continue a relationship with God. There's so much more to a relationship with God. Specifically, verse 34 says, No man, uh, or no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Now, in the Old Covenant, if you wanted to know God, you had to go to a priest who would go to God, and your relationship with God was done through a mediator called a priest. And if you wanted to be forgiven, you would bring the priest an animal, and he would slaughter it for you, and he'd sprinkle some blood, and you'd be forgiven. If you wanted to talk with God, you would have to come and and give to the priest, and one time a year, the priest could go into God's presence and talk to God for you and the people. This was not a very good arrangement for God because he loves his people too much. So he designed a new way where you can be the priest. You can, can uh, go into God's presence whenever you want and have a real, intimate, close relationship with God. And that is one of the most amazing blessings in the new covenant. I fear as, as young people grow up in the church, they take this for granted. I know I can pray whenever I want, and they don't understand that for thousands of years, people would have done anything to be able to gain that right, to be able to just walk into God's presence without him smiting you with lightning bolts. That would have been mind-blowing and shocking, but for us, it's all sterilized, and we're just like, meh. But we have to understand, what bought us the right to be able to walk into God's presence and say, Sally was mean to me today, and I just need you to hug me and love me? What what bought us that right? The blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the most valuable and, and graphic price that ever could have been paid for us to gain such a thing. So don't ever walk into God's presence and think, man... Here we go again. Me and the Lord are going to have a conversation. No. This is big time important. 
This is the only thing that matters in our life. Dealing with the Lord, having a real relationship with the Lord. But that's not all. Look at number three. Verse 33. It's listed backwards here. Verse 33. But this is the covenant I will make with them in, in, in those days. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. This is so beautiful and so amazing. It's an internal working of God. When you slap up those Ten Commandments on your wall, is that inside you or outside you? Very easy question. It's not a trick question. It's an external thing. You're trying to measure up to external standards. The new covenant abolishes this way of relating to God. And the new covenant says, no more, no more. Instead of having external rules, he says, I'm going to write, he's got a little spiritual tattoo gun, and he tattoos the law, the Ten Commandments, and many more on your heart, and now your desires will be what God writes on your heart. And instead of you thinking, I got to measure, I got to do this, I got to do, you're going to be saying, I want to love this person. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to, why would I want to lie? That's not what's in my heart. Why would I want to steal? That's not what's in my heart. And that's the change. And that's the difference between new covenant living and the law and what the, the Jews had to deal with for so many thousands of years. They had a law that said, don't lie, but then Jesus came along and said, you guys all lie. Why do you all want to lie? Don't commit adultery, but you guys all commit adultery. Why? Because the heart wasn't changed yet, but the new covenant provides for a change of heart. That's what grace does, changes our heart. So look at John chapter 1, verse 14, another beautiful portion of, of scripture here. We're going to read verse 14 and verse 16. Verse 14, the word, who's the word? Jesus. The word became flesh when he became a man, and he dwelt among us. That word we've looked at means tabernacle, which is a really cool connection with the tabernacle that we've been studying on Sundays in the book of Exodus. He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's full of it. Full. So how much grace does Jesus have? The Bible just says, well, he's full of it. How much truth does he have? He's full of it. Now look at verse 16. And of his fullness, or from his fullness, we have all received, not earned. This is a giving language, received. And then he says, and grace for grace. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He lived the true standard. And he sees what's true about us. He sees our failure, and that's not a problem for him. Because he can give us the experience of truth that he has, which means he can make us truthful, truly right. Moses uh, which was a picture of the law, which if we read the next verse, it says he gave the law and it counters it, you know, it sets it in contrast to this. Moses could not offer grace or truth. The law couldn't offer us grace or truth. The law only offered an external list, uh, a standard for us to live up to. But we could always lie about it. I haven't committed adultery. 
But then Jesus comes along the scene and he says, oh, really? Because the law actually judges the inside as well as the outside. So even if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty. So then it says, of his fullness, we have all received. Jesus is the source of the resources we need. Of his fullness. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And we get to receive what he's full of. We get that. He is the source. A lot of Christians, let me tell you a story. There's a, a woman who was praying for her husband to get saved. And, and years go by and she's probably, oh Lord Jesus, save my husband, save my husband. And the husband one day miraculously hears the gospel at church and he gets saved and all oh, praise the Lord. And you know what? What do I do now? So he joins the new believers class at church. And he goes to this new believers class, and this new and for ten weeks he goes to this new believers class. Week after week, he takes his Bible, he takes his notes, and and the joy that he had about getting saved slowly begins to dissipate over time. And he's not quite as happy and joyful as he was at the beginning. And then he gets just becomes downright kind of angry, and and he doesn't like it. And he comes in at the end, the tenth week of his discipleship. And he slams down his Bible and he says, I'm done. I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't want this. I don't believe it anymore. And she's dumbfounded. She's like, oh my gosh, things are going so good. How could this be possible? And he says, I became a Christian because I got convinced I couldn't do anything to save myself. And then I went to a class. And in this class, they taught me all the things I needed to do to make God happy and save myself, basically. And all these things added up, and I realized I was much better off before I knew Jesus than trying to do all these things to please Jesus, so I'm done. Isn't that a sad story? Because what he learned in that class was not true. And it led to death of his spiritual life. It led to alien, it, it led to all the wrong stuff. We don't want to see that. Another story. There's a, a guy, and, and the Christian, being, coming a Christian is like getting a brand new car. Fancy, nice, cool paint job, and shiny, and you're just so excited when you become a believer. And, and imagine this guy bringing his car home and, 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 and his friends come over and he's like, guys, guess what? I got a new car. Look at my, my new life as a believer, my new relationship with Jesus. So he, he brings all his friends out and, and they're just looking at the car and he's so excited and he's bragging about the different features and the headlights and the paint job. And he's like, hey, do you guys want to go for a spin? You want to actually go somewhere? Let's do something with this Christian life. And so all his friends pile in the car and he's just kind of walking around and he walks around to the back of the car and he just starts pushing. He's like, can someone put it in neutral? And he's just pushing, pushing, pushing. And his friends are like, what are you doing? Why are you so dumb? Because that is not how a car works. And so one of his lovely friends who has been a Christian for a while and has a car of his own, might be a little beat up or whatever, but he goes and he says, hey, 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 come here, come here. 
I want to show you something that your new car has that is just going to blow your mind and bless your heart, and you're going to be so excited and happy. And he takes him up to the front, and he pops the hood, and he, and he opens, and it's all shiny, beautiful engine. And he's like, oh, what is that? And his friend is like, guess what? This is a power source. This is an engine. This is something that's been given to you that is going to blow your mind. This is what is going to power your Christian life. So he gets in and he hands his friend the key and he says, this key is called faith. And as you put it in and turn the key, you're going to have an experience that will blow your mind. And the engine roars and he's like, whoa, what is that sound? What is this power I feel? He pushes on the gas and they go and never look back, right? That story is what it's like to know Jesus and receive his power. His power is like that engine. What his, he is full of power and resources of grace. And that's why we have to study this because I'm sick and tired of seeing my friends push their car when they don't have to. You guys with me? Yeah. Amen. Okay. And then he says, it's grace upon grace. And that's an idiom in Greek that meant grace upon grace upon grace. It just means a never-ending supply of grace. But it is interesting that it mentions grace twice because there's two arenas of grace that we're going to see that apply to our lives day after day. Number one is justification, and that is a grace that begins our relationship with God. None of us could born ourselves again. We have to be born again, and that is something that happens by grace. And so we'll look at some of that detail some Another arena of God's grace is sanctification. And it's funny that he names two grace upon grace. And sanctification is a big fancy word that just means becoming more Christ-like every day. Or basically, how you be a Christian from the moment you believe to the moment you die, all of that time and all of that stuff that God does is a process of sanctification. So, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Grace has this, this new covenant has this amazing ability to do stuff, stuff that we couldn't do. Let's look at the second one first. It has an ability to give you an inheritance. Who gets your inheritance, parents? Your kids do. How did they get into that position? They did all their chores, right? No. It's not about how many chores they do. It, they were born into this status where they get an inheritance. So this is a verse that's talking about justification, this part of the verse. It's a, you're given an inheritance. You didn't earn it. But you're going to arrive in heaven and he's going to say, welcome, my beloved son or daughter. You, welcome, you know, enter into the joy of your Lord. You get rewarded for stuff you didn't do. It's amazing. It's an inheritance that you get. Secondly, it says, which is able to build you up. Grace is able to build you up. So many Christians 
wander aimlessly about their lives saying, I don't know how to grow. I don't know how to become better. I see these failures. I see the law and my failure to meet up to the law. I, I see it all, but I don't know how to grow. And so they think, ah, I know. I'll pray and read my Bible and go to Bible studies and do more serving. And we have to, we have to lovingly take them aside and say, that is pushing your own car. Stop it. Whoops. Stop. It has to be grace that builds us up. And here he said, it will. He says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. His grace, which is his unearned, free help and, and favor. This power source will build us up. It's amazing. Let's look at Romans 6.14. We're just, we're, we're, tasting some of the glory of grace in this introduction to grace today. Look at Romans chapter 6.14. So building up is sanctification is by grace. That's a really big deal. Sanctification can never be by um, human effort or by works. You can't sanctify yourself. We've talked about that many, many times in church, but... Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Another beautiful and perfect aspect of God's grace is that it frees you from the life-dominating power of sin. How wonderful is that? So sin dominates all, all people, but grace has the power to free us from this domination. And it's the only power Okay, so sometimes uh, people drink this stuff called alcohol. And sometimes it becomes an idol and it becomes sin when they turn to that alcohol instead of turning to the Lord. That's what become, when it becomes a sin. And that turning to the idol of alcohol is a heart thing where they are enslaved, just like the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. Do you remember that? We studied how they came out of Egypt and God freed them. Well, being a slave to sin is not I'm a slave to alcohol. You're, I'm a slave to the idol. I'm, I'm, I'm a slave to turning to something to give me a better night's sleep or to free me of the demons that I'm facing. We turn to something other than Jesus. An idol is anything you turn to that's not Jesus. Anything. It could, hard work could be an idol. Something good church can be an idol. Your kids, your spouse can be an idol. If you're turning to those things when you have a need or you, um, you feel uh, like you need comfort, any kind of coping, when we turn to anything besides Jesus... It's sin. And here it says, God's grace will free you from that sin. It, I, I don't walk around saying, you know, God will keep you from alcohol. I say, God's grace will transform you so that you don't turn to the idol of alcohol. And that's a big difference. It's a big difference. Because instead of slapping up a list of 10 rules and saying, do these and don't do these, 
It's God's love. When we learn about what Jesus has given us by pouring out his blood and being nailed to the cross, when we learn that and we we dive into it and we receive it and believe it, he sets us free. And it's just so wonderful. And it's not by law, not by efforts, not by desire. Oh, I really want to be set free, so... But that doesn't work. Formulas and systems or even accountability partners, they don't produce the freedom that Jesus alone and his grace promise to produce in us. You are free from life-dominating sin. What's it say? By grace. By grace. Our last verse today is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here he mentions the power that works in us. Did you guys see that? What do you think that power is? It is grace. That is the power, the new covenant. That is the the total, complete package. And here it says it, it has to do not with your abilities, but with God's abilities. It's what he is able to do. That's the most wonderful thing about grace is we are free to say, I can't do it. In fact, the moment we say that is the moment you have placed yourself in a place where his grace can be given to you. Because that is humility. I can't do it. It's too hard. I always go back to the idol. I always fail. I just don't. I'm convinced that I am guilty and I am incapable to do it. That is the place and the attitude and the humility that God says, I will give grace to that person. That puts us in a place, a position where grace can be poured upon us. And look at what it says, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we decide to live by God's grace, confessing our inabilities to the Lord and humbly trusting in him and the power of his gospel and his his death on the cross and his blood, when we choose to do that, your life instantly becomes Way more important because your life now honors God and glorifies Jesus. We come and we sing worship songs and a lot of us think, okay, I'm going to sing this worship song so God gets glory for at least that part of my life. But then I go home and I do whatever I want. But hey, I went to church and I sang a song. So that means I did something worthwhile. But that is not what God is looking for. I don't care if you sing. I don't. What we want to see is a heart that is constantly, consistently saying, I am incapable and insufficient, but I believe that Jesus will actually come through for me. I believe that Jesus will actually do what he said, that his abundant power works in me, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to cling to it and call upon Jesus Even though I'm insufficient, he will make me sufficient. And that is what grace is. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to sing songs. Uh, Again, I don't care if you sing. 
I want hearts to grow humble, to uh, enjoy the freedom of saying, I can't do it, I am incapable, but Jesus, your body and your blood have bought for me things that I could never do myself. I am forgiven, number one. Number two, I have a personal relationship with you where I can come into your presence. I'm invited to be a child of God and experience all the blessings of a child. And number three, you are doing an internal work in me where you're changing what I want. You're changing who I am on the inside. And those three things is what the new covenant is all about. So as we come and as we, as we um, you know, take the, the cracker and eat it, we remember that Jesus uh, gave his body to be broken to buy this for us. And we remember his blood that was poured out. So would you guys stand with me as we come before the Lord and pray? Jesus, I give you glory and honor because I am incapable of producing godly change in myself. But we can glorify you and I can glorify you that you have changed me truly. I'm not perfect yet, but I am progressing and growing to trust you more and more every day. And all of God's children who are in this room we all say the same thing. It is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord that we are transformed. The Holy Spirit is the, is the power source of the new covenant of grace. And we want to be filled with your Spirit. We want to be transformed by your Spirit, Jesus. Help us to turn away and learn how to turn away from our idols day by day to turn towards you and receive your abundant life every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.